Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of that place. No, I'm just playing. Piharthra, between Migal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh would say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness was shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord heartened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were growing out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his armies, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pahara in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Y'all see, they got an attitude. They got a whole attitude. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what he said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, watch your shout, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall see never again. We can probably sit down after that one right there. Here it is. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Amen. That's praiseworthy. Now, if you thought it was long in English, wait till he reads it in Spanish. <laughs> now it's your turn. Yes. He, you know, he wants to, to learn, you know, Spanish language. <laughs> but, you know. It's hard, you know, to learn another language, you know, a new language. It's hard. You know, after we tried, you know, we know how hard it is, you know, to understand new languages and pronounce. So, you know, I'm thinking about it, and then that's the, the, the same to the, the, king, the kingdom of heaven, to, you know, to learn the language of the kingdom of heaven is hard to understand after, you know, we try to do it by your own. Amen. But God called us Amen. for Amen. understand him. How he loved us, how his will. He has everything for us. Amen. But we know, we, un we have to understand 
his language. That's right. Amen? Amen. So it's hard. <laughs> for me, it's hard, you know. English is hard. Spanish is the same thing for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but if we try, we can do it. Amen. But if we, we, we love it, we can do it. That's right. All right? So now I read it in Spanish. Habló Jehová Moisés diciendo, Dí a los hijos de Israel que den la vuelta y acampen delante de Pijariot, entre Migdol y el mar hacia Baal-Sefón, delante de él acamparéis junto al mar. Porque Faraón dirá a los hijos de Israel, Encerrados están en la tierra, el desierto los ha encerrado. Y yo endureceré el corazón de Faraón para que los siga y seré glorificado en Faraón y en todo su ejército, en Faraón y en todo su ejército, y sabrán los hijos de los egipcios que yo soy Jehová y ellos lo hicieron así. Y fue dado aviso al rey de Egipto que el pueblo huía y el corazón de Faraón y de sus siervos se volvió contra el pueblo y dijeron, ¿cómo hemos hecho esto de haber dejado a Israel para que no nos sirva? Y unció su carro y tomó consigo su pueblo y tomó 600 carros escogidos y todos los carros de Egipto y los capitanes sobre ellos, y endureció Jehová el corazón de Faraón, rey de Egipto, y él siguió a los hijos de Israel, pero los hijos de Israel habían salido con mano poderosa. Siguiéndolos pues los egipcios, con toda la caballería y carros de Faraón, su gente de a caballo y todo su ejército los alcanzaron acampados junto al mar, al lado de Pihairot, delante de Baal Sefón. Y cuando Faraón se hubo acercado, los hijos de Israel alzaron sus ojos y he aquí que los egipcios venían tras ellos, por lo que los hijos de Israel temieron en gran manera y clamaron a Jehová y dijeron a Moisés no había sepulcros en Egipto que nos, que nos has sacado para que muramos en el desierto ¿por qué has hecho así con nosotros que nos has sacado de Egipto? ¿no es esto que te hablamos en Egipto diciendo déjanos servir a los egipcios porque mejor nos fuera ser servir a los egipcios que morir nosotros en el desierto y Moisés dijo al pueblo no temáis estad firmes y ved la salvación que Jehová hará hoy con vosotros porque los egipcios que habéis visto nunca más para siempre lo veréis. Jehová peleará por vosotros y vosotros estaréis tranquilos. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all wake up now. 
Good job. Get all that. All right, all right. Anybody ready for the word of the Lord? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Bless this time together. We humble ourselves under the authoritative, inerrant, inspired word of God. We pray, God, that you would shape us the way that we need to be shaped. Change us the way that we need to be changed. Open our ears so that we can hear and receive your word. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, Gladys Alward, missionary to China, more than 50 years ago, was forced to flee when the Japanese invaded Yangqing. But she could not leave her work behind. With only one assistant, she led more than 100 orphans over the mountain towards free China. In their book, The Hidden Price of Greatness, Ray Betson and Rolanda Mack, Hunkersicker, tells what happened. During Gladys' harrowing journey out of war-torn Yangqing, she grappled with despair as never before. After passing a sleepless night, she faced the morning with no hope of reaching safety. A 13-year-old girl in the group reminded her of their much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And she replied, but I'm not Moses. Gladys cried in desperation. Of course you aren't, the girl said, but Jehovah is still God. Uh, Perhaps you didn't catch that. She told the girl, I'm not Moses. The girl had to remind her, yeah, you're not Moses, but God is still God. Friends, that's a phrase worth holding on to. That's a phrase you might want to tuck in your back pocket. There's, that's a phrase that you latch on to when you got nothing else to latch on to. It's a, it's a phrase that'll get you through some tough times. No, 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 we're not Moses, but God is still God. When Gladys and the orphans made it through, they proved once again that no matter how inadequate you and I feel, God is still God. Therefore, we can trust in him. I'd like to tag my text this morning, the beauty of being trapped. The beauty of being trapped. Friends, we are not Moses either, but God is still God. Are you in a hard place this morning? No place to go. No place to turn. Maybe feeling trapped in a relationship. Just keep looking at me. Trapped at a job. Just feeling trapped. Friends, there's good news for your weary soul this morning. God is still God. All you must do is believe and trust in him. This is the beauty of being in a trapped place that you get to see the glory of God. 
The beauty of being an attractive, I was going to say this for later on, but I'm going to go ahead and go there with you. The beauty of being in a trap place is not that you finally get to come up. It's not that God will destroy all your enemies, but the beauty of being in the trap place is that you'll see glory that you ain't never seen before. And God got glory ain't nobody seen. He got glory upon glory. Ah, the beauty about a trap place is God to get your attention in a trap place. Friends, but God cares. Yes, he does. God cares about how you respond to difficult situations. We will learn today in Exodus 14 that God does care. Today we camp out in Exodus and we find ourselves in front of the Red Sea. And for all of you who may have grew up in church, or maybe you didn't grow up in church, uh, your mom made you watch the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you remember, when it was on VHS, it was two of them. You knew that you was going to be there all day. You should have just packed the lunch. It was going to be a minute. But I love the part when Moses come down and they slap that Vaseline on him and they set that light on him right and he's glistening. In the, that ain't got nothing to do with the sermon. But in, <laughs> he came down that mountain shining. I was like, that's petroleum jelly. I know it when I see it. I know it when I see it. You remember your mama used to see you to church, grease up your forehead, light shining on you, looking like you're holy, but it ain't nothing but Vaseline. We know where you were last night, and we know what's going on. Surely one of the most renowned miracles in the Bible, besides the resurrection of Christ, is the spreading of the Red Sea. The Exodus is the greatest redemptive event in the Old Testament times. It's repeated over and over in the Psalms. In later stories at the defining moment of Israel, Israel is created in Exodus. Israel as a nation, as she is brought out of Egypt and crosses the Red Sea, as she is brought into being. If you would backpedal with me for a minute, though, and go back right before they crossed the Red Sea right before their, their final relief, their final, their final liberation from Pharaoh. At the beginning of chapter 14, the children of Israel have been released from the house of Egypt, from the house of bondage, delivered by all the plagues that God brought. You know that when God wants you out of a place, he'll show up on his own. I love it that, 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 that later on in the Bible, in the New Testament, by the time we get to Matthew, God was done sending plagues. He said that, heck, I'll become a man myself and, I, and I'll deliver my people myself. But we see a picture of it right here in the book of Exodus that God sent plagues to dis- deliver his people from Egypt. And now as they exit Egypt, they, they have a, pill, a pillar of cloud leading them by day and a pillar of fire leading them by night. They are at an all-time high. You must understand, church, that the children of Israel is at an all-time high. they're, They're feeling themselves. God not only delivered them, but he told them to take some jewelry as they left. So you know that they came out dripping, if you didn't know that. They came out feeling like outcasts. I'm so fresh, so fresh, and so clean, clean. Ain't nobody dope as us. You know how it is. And so they're feeling good. They're coming out of there from their oppression. And all of a sudden, they're they're feeling good. and, And all is well. But you know how life is. The good times will quickly fade into the bad times. 
you'll be rejoicing one moment and you'll get a phone call the next moment. You'll be laughing one minute and sadness will creep in the next minute. Well, this is the case. They were on a high and all of a sudden they are now on a low. And that's just how life is. And just like that, they find themselves in front of the Red Sea. But they are stuck. And they are trapped. Before we cross the Red Sea, I want you to see four things in this passage before us. In verses 1 through 4, you're going to see a change of course in a web of providence. In verses 5 through 9, you're going to see a change of heart in the Egyptians' pursuit. In verses 10 through 12, you're going to see a change of attitude in a complaint against Moses. And then in verses 13 and 14, you're going to see a strange set of directives and a bold promise from God. So let's look at the passage together. The first point I want to make, trapped on purpose, trapped on purpose. In this chapter, God gives clear instructions to Moses. What are those instructions? Look at the verse. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp out before Apahathro. I tried to get that down, y'all. It's probably wrong. Please don't go telling that to your friends. Uh, I'm just going to say that place right there uh, between Migal and the sea. You still camp out. You know when you try to get the words right, you, you kind of go to your Bible app and you kind of listen to it. Well, it didn't work. Don't try that. And so God tells them where to go. God tells them where he wants them to camp out at. Now, at first glance, one would think nothing of this. This is good. God himself is telling you where to go. Can we be honest in this room? Many of us wish that God would just tell us where to go. God, you know, if you just tell me what to do, life would be a whole lot better. Won't you just put a halo over the man you want me to marry? Put a halo over the woman you want me to marry. Some of y'all thought y'all seen a halo until you move in. And you say, hey, yo, what's going on with you? And so anyways, God, just tell me the job you want me to go to and I'll go. We would love for God to just direct us the way that he directed Israel. Can I be honest? Sometimes I just want God to tell me. I don't want to wait for the email to tell me if I got the job. God, can you just tell me, please, God. God, tell me where you want me. You ain't never been in that place where God wants you just, you God, you all know him. We cool. I was praying to you last night. You can't tell me when I go. I'm lost. You want me to get crest? Oh, you want me to get aqua fresh? Just tell me what you want me to do, God. And I'll do it. Just tell me, God, and I'll obey. But here's the thing about God is your way of getting free is different from God's way of setting you free. And sometimes we think God doesn't hear our prayers because he don't do it the way we want him to do it. And when God chooses to do it another way, we assume that God doesn't care about us. But what we're going to find here is that God takes his own way. God's instructions for them to leave and go to this place, God actually trapped them. He boxed them in between the mountain and the Red Sea, and he did it on purpose. Now, of course, we know God will spread it, but, but if you put yourself in their shoes, 
They didn't know that God was going to spread the sea. Like you didn't know whether God was going to give you the job or not. Uh, You didn't know if this was the person to marry or not. I need you to get in their shoes for a moment. This is when you don't know what God is going to do. They do know their oppressor is after them. They do know they are vulnerable. Pharaoh certainly knew what a bad decision this was. Even Pharaoh, look, looking from a human perspective, like, I got him now, Jack. Here it is right here in the verse. For when he hears of it, he will say, they are wandering aimlessly. They're shut in. On a human level, this does not make sense. Why would you trap yourself like this? You have no way out. That's not the place to be. And yet, that's precisely what the Lord tells Moses to take Israel. But what appears to be a trap to us is an opportunity for God. What appears to be a trap to you is an opportunity for God. For what, God? We're trapped. You couldn't choose another way. That's us. What do you mean, God? This is an opportunity. I'm trapped. I ain't got no money. I don't know no way out. God, what are you talking? You ever been frustrated with God? Oh, maybe it's just me. Now, check this out. In verse 3, God tells Moses exactly what he's up to. He wants Pharaoh to think two things. I love God. God is cold. Oh, I love God. Watch him. Watch him now. Number one, God wants Pharaoh to think Israel is wandering aimlessly. God wants him to think that. And number two, he wants Pharaoh to think Israel is trapped. God wants him to think that. Why does he want Pharaoh to think this? Well, we see see in verse four God's plan. God's plan is to use this trap to harden Pharaoh's heart, to entice him to go after the Israelites. And why does God want want Pharaoh to do this? He has a grander purpose. And that purpose is revealed in verse 4. Now watch this. I want you to see something here. God intends to do something with this situation. And the main purpose is not to liberate Israel. God's main purpose in this is not to liberate Israel. If you notice in verses 1 through 4, God never mentions the liberation of Israel. But what does he mention? I'm going to do this to display my glory. All right, I'm preaching better than y'all talking to me. Let me say it in a way that you can understand. If you're ever going to understand the Bible, if you're ever going to comprehend the Bible, you're going to have to get yourself out of the center of the Bible and realize that God is the center of the Bible. And God will trap you in order that he may get glory from you. God's going to get some glory out of your situation, whether you like it or not. Oh, you don't know what I'm talking about? For from him and to him and through him are all things. Now, you're going to be frustrated your whole life if you think life revolves around you. You're just going to be one mad person. Until you finally come to grips that God ain't mainly concerned about your comfort. God ain't mainly concerned about your situation. God is concerned about getting glory out of the situation. He doesn't even mention their liberation. Now, let's be real. Now, that was me. I don't want to hear about no glory. I don't want to hear about that right now. 
Lord, I'm stuck. You talking about glory? And I'm stuck at this job. This coworker keep getting on my nerves. I don't know how much longer I can go. These babies have been crying all day. God, I don't want to hear about no glory. I want to hear about how I get out. Can, can I be real this morning? I know we're in church. I mean, some of us, we, we, we don't come to church if we feel that way. Uh-oh, can't say amen, say ouch. But God uses tough situations to get glory out of it. But here's the other flip side of the thing. Not only does God use Israel being trapped to get glory, God uses Pharaoh to get glory. What you got to understand is not only does God get glory from his people, but God is going to get glory from his enemies. God is never going to lose glory on no end. Mm -hmm. Even the enemies are part of the setup for his glory. If you knew what I said, you'll be shouting right now that, 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 that even your enemies are part of God's plan. You think that thorn in the side of your flesh is there for no reason? It's not. Remember when Jesus, let me me go back to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Y'all know I love Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And and word gets to Jesus. Y'all know the story that his homeboy is sick. Lazarus was was, with Jesus G. They kicked it a lot. They used to drink Kool-Aid together, the red kind in the faded picture. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but a piece of cornbread may wake you up this morning. But Jesus used to kick it with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And word gets back to Jesus that Lazarus is about to die and we know as I said before that Jesus could have spoke the word and Lazarus would have been healed but instead of Jesus speaking the word he allowed Lazarus to be trapped to the point that Lazarus dies and what does he say? Well, the sisters sent to him saying Lord he whom you love is ill but when Jesus heard it he said this illness does not lead to death it is for the glory of God so the son of God may be glorified through it I want you to underline that the one that he loved, just because God loves you, doesn't mean that he won't send you through nothing. And as long as you keep measuring whether God loves you based on the situation and circumstance that you're in, you'll never have the peace that you can have in his love. Because sometimes God will put you in something just to get glory. Now, you see, back in the earlier chapters of Exodus, Pharaoh uttered the words. He almost did Drake on on, on Moses. He says, Lord, I never heard of the Lord. Who is the Lord? You or y'all remember soldier boy, right? And, And when he was making fun of Drake, he said, Drake. Drake, this is what, this is, this is what Pharaoh is, a Lord, Lord, you talking about the Lord that want to have from the sea and the sea want to have from the Lord? Some of y'all need to watch some social media. I see that y'all not with me this morning. And it comes right here to this point, and God is saying, Pharaoh, you're going to know who I am. Your people are going to know who I am. The world is going to know who I am. Friends, therefore God saved you. The reason he saved you is so that he'll put his name on you so that your friends and family members may know that there is a God. You think that he saved you from pornography, from anger, from bitterness for no reason? No, he did it so that when your friends and family look in on your life, they see how you've been delivered and they'll say, there must be a God 
because there ain't no way this joker got cleaned up. There ain't no way that this joker let that go. I know him. I know her. God will deliver you so that your friends and family will look on and say that there is a God. Christians, this is why we got to be careful that we don't brag on ourselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know how we get. We, we, you know, we get a little saved. And we don't know what the club is no more. We ain't never heard of 92.3. What you talking about, Jack? I don't know what you're talking about, right? We've reduced Christianity down to just listening to clean music and not cussing. But I came to tell you that Christianity is more than that. God has set you free. He called you to be born again. He put a new heart in the inside of you. He gave you a praise in your soul. I wish I had some folks in the room that's been turned around. And God has used your testimony in order to brag about his own glory. friends, we got to be careful not to judge Israel. You need to understand Israel is in an entirely different place than you and I are. We're looking at this from the outside with future distance, but they are in between a rock and a wet place and things look bad. No helicopter is coming. They have no weapons. They have no cell phones. If they did, it'll probably be Android. That's neither here nor there. They have no social media. They can't call Lyft and they can't call Uber. They are boxed in and they are stuck. They feel set up by Moses and they feel set up by God. They are not thinking about the glory of God. And how often do you and I experience frustration in our difficulties? You may be sitting here now in the midst of your rock in your wet place and wondering if God still loves you. When we are trapped, we're not thinking about the glory of God. We are worse than my two-year-old daughter. I'm so glad I had kids because they give you a ton of sermon illustrations. (laughs) One time I was sitting in my room, y'all. I'm chilling. I'm watching Hulu. Anybody got Hulu? in the room. I'm chilling. I'm enjoying myself. And you know, when you just get comfortable, you finally find that spot that you were looking for. It seems like somebody want to call you right when you find your comfort place. And that's when God tests you because the flesh won't arrive. I know y'all didn't just call me and I just got my comfortable spot. And all I hear from the other room is help daddy. Help daddy. I run over into the other room. It's Kylie. Y'all know she's two. And she got herself stuck in her own shirt. She's like this when I come in the room. She says, help, Daddy. Here it is. I try to help her. But as I try to help her, she begins to fight back at me. And, and, and I begin to judge her. But then I remember that I do the same thing with God. I call out in prayer. I say, help me, God. God tries to get me out the way that he wants to get me out. And then I start fighting him again. And then the longer we fight, the harder it is to get out of the situation. We think we have to be in control in order for God to be God. We call God for help, but we want to do it our way. And we end up stuck. The Bible is clear. God don't need your movement. God doesn't need your strength. The Bible says, be still. The Bible says... Be still. 
Isn't it hard to be still, friend? Oh, it's one thing to say amen in church, but isn't it hard to wait on God sometimes? Can, can, can we be honest? It seems like the longer you wait, the more that doubt creeps in. Yeah, sometimes you can start off good waiting on God and then just give it enough time. The voice of the enemy seems to get a little bit louder. Marriage seems to get a little bit worse. Friends seem to become enemies, waiting on God. It's, it's easy to say, I'll wait on you, Lord. But when you're in the situation, it's hard to wait on him. But friends, God doesn't need you to be in control. God doesn't need you to move to do what he needs to do. God needs you to be still. Let's flip the lens for a minute. The Egyptians actually changed their mind. The second thing I want you to see, you'll see it in verses 5 through 9, a change of heart in a pursuit by the Egyptians. If you recall, Pharaoh had decided to let, let God's people go, but after discovering they were trapped, he changed his mind. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. The people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, in his horsemen, in his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by that place in front of that place. Let me sum it up for you. Pharaoh is like, hold up, wait a minute. What was I thinking? I let 600,000 able bodies, totally cheap labor, leave the country. I'm just telling y'all what he's thinking. He's coming to his senses now. He's looking at all the work that needs to be done, and he's like, butter rum, I, I don't know if I should have did this. We must have been out of our minds. I'm like, bro, did you not see all the frogs in the locusts? Pharaoh, do you not remember all that God did? I don't care about that. I'm thinking about this work that needs to be done around here, and he chases after them. Isn't that like your old master? As soon as you get out, all of a sudden, they want to change their minds, and they want to find you in a trap place, and they find you in a weak place. The things that you thought you were over, when you get in a trap place, they seem to pursue you again. The anger you thought you were over pursues you when you're weak. The stuff that you thought you were done with pursues you when you're weak. I learned this in the gym, y'all. We do this thing called deadlifts. If you know anything about deadlifts, is that you lift weights until you can't lift them anymore. And so some of us may start with a 45. Some of us may start with a 25. And you lift the 45s. You drop the 45s. You pick up the 35s. You drop the 35s. You pick up the 25s. You drop the 25s. You pick up the 15s. You drop the 15s. And you pick up the 5s. By the time you get to the 5s, they feel like they're 50 pounds heavier friends that's how life is the things that you're able to lift you can't lift when you're fatigued and you're weak and you're down you ever been in that place this thing that should not be kicking my butt is kicking my butt <laughs> this thing that I should be able to knock out I can't knock out no more because of muscle fatigue 
Pharaoh realizes that the children of Israel have gone off and he figures that since they're trapped, that he'll go after them. But I think you guys need to understand something, and we see this in verse 7, that it is not some sort of minor desert police operation that is going after Israel. This is the bulk. Perhaps the totality of the forces of the most powerful army on earth being marshaled against a people that don't know how to shoot a bow and arrow. They are going up against something 10 times, 20 times, 100 times greater than them. I need you to feel the weight of what's going on in this story. Trapped between a rock and a wet place, the greatest army on earth is coming after you. What would you do? How would you feel if you were in that situation? I'm not just talking about just anything. This is dub nation going against preschoolers. This is serious. They're in a difficult place. And it appears Pharaoh has the better hand. But zoom in on verse 8. In verse 8, it is made clear that God is acting here. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Now, it may look like this is Pharaoh's idea. It may look like Pharaoh has all the cards in his hands, but this is God's plan. God is, as usual in this story, clearly behind it and in control of all the events. And so when Pharaoh gives chase, you realize Pharaoh is chasing right where the Lord has ordained him to chase. Pharaoh's not in control. God is in control. Pharaoh thinks that he's doing his own thing, and yet God is in the background saying, you're going right where I want you to go so that I can get the maximum glory. In other words, friends, if you belong to God, he will send you into a trap, but the trap is not for you. It is for your enemy. Friends, God knows how to play his hand. God knows how to play his hand. Okay, y'all need some help in the room. I know I got some spade players in here. Anybody know about spades? Oh, I love spades. Oh, I love, and you know spades is getting serious when people start slapping cards on the table. Pow, take that, Jack. Yeah, oh, I love spades. Now, for you who do not know what spades is, it's, it's, it's a card game. And what you do is that each, each team get a partner. It's, just a, it's a two on two. You want to get the most books in the end. And whoever has the most books wins. Y'all, one time I was playing spades, I got dealt a bad hand. And you know when you got dealt a bad hand because you start fidgeting, you mad, you trying to find a way to redeal the cards. You know that it's going to be a bad game. you like, how many but I ain't got much. And the people that are playing against you, they're smiling and they're laughing. We're going to get these jokers this round. But one time I was playing and my partner across the table was smirking and smiling. I'm like, what you're smiling at, Jack? Do you see what I got in my hand? Friend, the reason he was smiling is because he was like, do you know what I got in my hand? And oftentimes, we forget who our partner is, who is God. You're looking at your hand, but you got to remember what God got in his hand. 
And God's sitting there smiling like, oh, they think they got you set. They think that they didn't re-need you, but I got something for you. I got a whole hand full of space. I got the big joker in the little. Ain't nothing like having a big joker in the little joker. Some of y'all don't play with jokers, but I ain't joking around when I say that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. Can I preach this how I feel it? When God got the hand. You ain't got nothing to worry about. It doesn't matter what your hand looks like. It matters what his hand looks like. And God knows how to play his hand. And so God is playing his hands in this text. Oh, it looks like Pharaoh got the better hand. Looks like Pharaoh's on top. Pharaoh's on the other side of the table laughing at the children of Israel. Because he thinks at the battle is one. He thinks that the battle is over, but he forgot that Israel got a partner, a partner who got a PhD in spades. He got a PhD in playing cards. Oh, he'll make a way out of no way. Uh-huh. He'll take a dry place and turn it into a wet place. They forgot who God was. He the one who put fast in cheetah. He's the one who created the world. He spoke and things came into existence. Can I brag on him for a minute? I said this before. God has ex nihilo power, friends. That's out of nothing power. God, raw material, is nothingness. You know that God is holding this room together. He's holding your heart together. He's holding your mind together. He's holding the universe together. Sometimes we got to pause and remember who our partner is and get your hands off of your hand and get your hand on his hand. I'm talking about hands that were stretched for you. Hands that took nails for you. A crown of thorns on his head. They pierced his side. It looks like Pharaoh got the upper hand. And you know that the people believe that Pharaoh had the upper hand. Well, how do you know, Pastor? Check it out. This is us right here. The hearts of the people change, and they complained against Moses. We see this in verses 10 through 12. The scene shifts again. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. Uh, after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. They own his heels, y'all. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Let me park my car here because there's so much for us to extract and to learn from this all along. They're done. They're mad. They surround Moses. They say, what's up, cuz? You got us stuck out here. You brought us out here. And it's looking real jacked up. And what happens in the inside of God's people? Their confidence falls. Nothing It's more deadly than when God's people start to lose faith in him. They're mad. They're angry. 
They feel the dust of Pharaoh's chariots in their face. He's coming towards them, and their faith drops. Their confidence falls. Danger comes, and they lose it. Chains come, and they lose it. All the joy and confidence leaves faster than air in a pop balloon. What do they do? Same thing we do. They panicked. They cry out to the Lord. They flip on Moses. Essentially, they lose their faith. One of the worst things we can ever do, church, and I said again, is lose our faith in God. Why? Because when we lose our faith in God, we do dumb stuff. You're the most ridiculous person when you ain't got no faith. Kim, I'm just being honest. We start doing stupid stuff. Oh, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do this. I got this. And what happens? You come tangled up in that shirt again. <laughs> Talking about, I got this. Well, if you got it, why is your arm coming out the neck part of the shirt? Explain that, wise guy. Friends, we got to understand that Satan doesn't want your house. Satan don't want your wife. Satan don't want your job. Satan wants your faith. He doesn't care about all that other stuff. He don't need your car. He wants your faith. They turn to Moses and start asking him some questions, and they got real angry. Now, I don't know. If I was Moses and they came at me like that, but run. They may have got something back at them, you know what I mean? You're not just going to step to a brother like that. Okay, I'm going to say what I need to say too. Now, when they say that, did you bring us out here, Moses, because there were no enough graves in Egypt? They're not just saying that to say that. There were plenty of graves in Egypt. It was more graves in Egypt than barbecue grills in the hood. Y'all understand what I'm saying? There were plenty of graves in Egypt. Y'all know we got grills everywhere. I seen one dude screw the grill to his window. Just open it up, bam. You know, we're going to have us a grill. We're going to have us a barbecue. Anyways, <laughs> there were plenty of graves in Egypt. Their pyramids were graves. They had been building graves in Egypt. Egypt was grave central. It was grave depot. It, if, if you wanted a grave, Egypt was the place to go. The people says to Moses, did you bring us out here because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? And this question gets to the heart of the thing. In other words, God, why have you dealt me this hand? God, if you wanted us to win this spades game, why did you deal me this hand? You know the cards. You know how to play. Have you ever asked that question? God, why did you put me in this marriage? Oh, hold on. Just keep looking at me. God, why did you bring me to this job? God, why did you cause me to be born into this family? Father, why didn't you just make me miss that night? I would have never met him, and then I would have never been with him. If you would have never did this, we start to ask God why. And they conclude this is because God wants to destroy us. We conclude that as well in our trap situation. God, you brought me here to kill me. And God says, I didn't bring you here to kill you. 
I brought you here to show you my glory. I'm trying to contain myself. God says that I didn't bring you here because I wanted to destroy you. I brought you here because I wanted to show you my glory. And when I got to show you my glory, that doesn't mean that I won't put you in a discomfort place. When I say I'm going to bring you into to see my glory, that don't mean that I won't put you in a trap place. When I say that I'm going to show you my glory, that doesn't mean I won't allow your arm to go through the neck of the shirt. When I say that I'm going to show you my glory, I got to put you in a situation that nobody else can get you out of so that when I deliver you, there'll be no one else that gets the glory but me alone. And so I got to put you in a marriage that you can't control. I got to put you in a situation that you have no power over. I got to put you in a place that your own strength can't do it so that you'll say, not by might, not by strength, but by his spirit. I want to make sure the next time you shout, you're shouting because you've seen my glory. I want to make sure the next time you praise, it's because you've seen my glory. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like seeing the glory of God because Moses seen it. And what did Moses say? Moses says, show me your glory, God. I don't care what you do. Send me where you want to send me. Do what you want to do. But I'm going to ask one thing of you. Show me your glory. I wish I had some folks in the church that was done with the material stuff. Done with just the religious stuff done with just church and finally made up in their mind God I don't care if I gotta push through the crowd and touch the hem of your garment I won't move until you show me your glory maybe I'm the only one this morning but I found myself lately saying God I don't care about anything else show me your glory I read the text and once again, I started to judge Israel because I'm like, I thought y'all seen his glory back in Egypt. Y'all didn't see the locusts. Y'all didn't see the flies. Y'all didn't see him turn the sea into blood. Y'all didn't see him seeing the angel of death. Y'all didn't see none of that. But you know what? I had to be careful judging them because it's hard to see freedom from your oppressor when you've been in slavery for 430 years. It's hard to rejoice when you've been down. And sometimes, let me just park here for a second. Uh, we talk about men and women who are in abusive relationships, and we say, girl, you're stupid. You, you, you ought to get out of it. But you don't understand what it is to be manipulated and have your brain washed, and then people make you think that there's no life outside of Egypt. You don't know what it is to, to try to get away from them, and you finally get away from them, and then you find yourself in another trap place, and you say, hey, I should have just stayed where I was at. You ain't never been there before. They... They were oppressed for 430 years. We ain't no different. God set some of us free 20 years ago. And we still struggling. And we're still doubting. And we're still trying to control our situations. And sometimes we still don't believe him. But friends, I came to tell you that no matter if you've been down for 
430 years. God ain't asking nothing of you but to be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. I love the last part of this. In these verses, God's people are about to learn a big lesson, a lesson we need to learn. Never get so fixed on what your enemies, enemies plan to do to you more than what God plans to do with you. Let me pause here really fast because, because I think this is important that, 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 that we focus on what God is getting ready to do. He gives them a directive. You would think that God would say, okay, y'all, y'all stuck. Y'all need to start climbing the mountain. Y'all need to start swimming. And Oh, y'all can't swim? Well, if you can't swim, you're bound to drown. It's as simple as that. But God doesn't do that. Moses says, be still and watch the salvation of the Lord. This is why Jesus says, if I be lifted up. I'm coming with the gospel. Y'all ready for it? Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. This is how the gospel works, friends. God doesn't need you to deliver you from your sins. All we got to do is lift up Jesus. And when we lift up Jesus, chains start falling off. Situations start falling off. That fear that you had in your soul falls off. Yeah, the anger falls off. The bitterness falls off. People come to counseling and they expect me to give them something new. But I just keep lifting up Jesus because I believe that he's still able to save today as he was able to save 2,000 years ago. I'm done after this and God bless you real good some of y'all remember the the Chinese finger trap do y'all remember the Chinese y'all don't remember the Chinese finger trap the Chinese finger trap is a little game that we used to play I know y'all got androids and iPhones and so y'all play the games on your phone but we used to stick our fingers in here and here's the thing when you stick your fingers in the Chinese trap no matter how much you pull it'll never get out you can wiggle it around but your fingers will never get out well where's what is the key to getting out well you gotta stop moving you gotta stop wiggling and all you got to do is wait on the help to come from the outside to set you free. And friends, that's what God did for you and me. We were down in the slumps. We were down in the dumpster. But God sent his only begotten son into the world. He didn't seem flies. He didn't seem but seen a plague. He didn't seem the deaf angel. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they stretched them. They hung them high. They stretched them wide. And for you and me, he died. I wish I had some people that knew that it was the blood that set you free. It was Christ that delivered you. It was Jesus that did it. And if I was you, I would stand on my feet, give him a loud shout of praise because God is worthy. He's still delivering. He's still setting free. The same God that set free out of Egypt is the same God that is set free today. Would you stop wiggling? Would you stop grabbing a hold of things? Would you stop trying to be in control? There ain't no power in you. God can deliver without you. And he's put you in that place so that you'll see his glory. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. I don't know what your situation is. But God said, stop moving and watch me go to work. To be still and know that I'm God. 
to be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God.